Welcome to the Rainbow Bull with Tim Volk from T. Volk and Company Consulting. In this podcast, Tim, a proud member of the LGBTQ community, discusses a range of topics around the five capitals of a flourishing family, human, intellectual, social, spiritual, and financial capital. Tim will use this framework as he and his guest experts delve into the secrets of the wealthy and how we might learn from them. So let's get started on this exciting adventure together. It's complicated. Our relationship with money is often built on conflicting emotions, and it can get even messier when you toss in family and sizable wealth. Tim Volk's guest is Jill Shipley. Jill helps families manage the impact of multi-generational wealth. So Tim, tell us more about Jill and how you know each other. Well, I just want to say out of the gate that I am the head of the fan club for the Jill Shipley group. I, I believe that Jill is one of the coolest people I've met, and I'm so excited to have her on the show today to talk about this conversation on money, the topic of money, because it is a very interesting topic. As as I've said all along, I think some people would rather talk about sex than money, and they don't want to talk about sex. So that tells you a little bit about it. But Jill and I have known each other for many years. She and I have had the pleasure of uh, collaborating in a global think tank that uh, my mom refers to as the secret coven. It's not a secret coven. It's just a, it's called the collaboration for families flourishing. And we are a group of people that get together to help those of us that work with families and to think about how we could help families flourish people with enormous amount of money uh, have similar problems. Only the money magnifies the problems. And so how can we help them? Because nobody's ever going to feel sorry for a wealthy family. So Jill and I share this passion for helping families. I think that the uh, just been a wonderful friendship that's evolved over time. And we have these deep conversations. And so Jill and I had a conversation that was about the podcast. And we started talking about the podcast and what it could be like. And somehow we got on this topic that we're, we're going to discuss today. And the relationship with money and the way we phrased it in the title for the podcast is the relationship with money, scarcity and abundance. But, you know, money carries great complexity and it's connected to power, love, control. And interestingly, we all have a history with money. And so Jill brings a, a very unique background as uh, the head of family governance and education practices for what was formerly Tiedemann Family Office, and now it's AITI, is it it correct? It is, ALTI. Tell us a little bit about yourself and tell me why you're doing some of the work you're doing. Sure. I want to start by saying I am the head of your fan club, and it is an enormous fan club, as your audience is likely aware. I'm so honored to be here with you, Tim and Patrice. I am really passionate about this topic. I've spent my whole career over 20 years really trying to help first, frankly, myself understand how can families stay cohesive and harmonious while also coming together around money. And I work for a financial firm, but I don't do anything 
managing the actual money. My whole job for my whole career has been focused just on helping families more effectively communicate about money, working to facilitate discussions, even with couples or trustees and beneficiaries, multi-generational families, also to do education around the complexity of money and money management and estate planning, and also just the social and emotional impact that money can have on us, on our identity and our well-being. I also do work around governance, which is just shared decision-making for family enterprises and family foundations and lead the firm's effort around purposeful philanthropy. So I have the most wow. fun job. Yes. I'm really trying to help people manage the impact money has. When we say governance, I think it's really cool. One of the things that I did, Joe, when we started the podcast was we outlined the work around Jay's five capitals, Jay Hughes's five capitals. So I think this falls under what we're going to talk about on the next, the next maybe two podcasts, maybe three is it's on the social, it has a social you know, capital meaning it's what's the money for? What's it about? The the spiritual capital is what binds us as a family. What is you know? How do we connect that spiritual sort of element to our life together? And the human capital I mean how it's impacting us. Am I? Am I? Do you think I've got that right? Or I think you got that right. Because I, I mean, it is the financial capital, but that's not really what we're talking about. Yeah, money's a magnifier, and it's also a tool and. So yes, I love that framework that you just shared and that how Jay describes that it's really the financial capital that is a tool that we should be using to help us accomplish the other capitals in Mm -hmm. our life. So I totally agree with you, spiritual, social, intellectual. Yes, definitely grounding our conversation today. You said something the other day during our conversation that I loved because you said, the rich, you know, nobody's ever going to feel sorry for rich families that we we've already talked about that. And but our goal was both you and I kind of agree that if we can help wealthy families be productive and and help them use the money to do great things, then the world will be a better place because they can impact the world faster and better than a government. Uh, they, they are able to do things even more effectively when others can't. But your quote the other day was. The rich are both idled and hated. Yeah. Gosh, we dream of being rich and yet we are so jealous and have this anger about the inequality that comes out sometimes as toxic envy. It's uh, it's quite a conundrum. And I, I think what's really cool and exciting to me is that we have an opportunity to change the stereotype, to change the bias and the perception which I think can change the world. I think a lot of the way we view the wealthy is just wrong. And if we can get more clear on how much of a positive impact we can all have with our money, uh, but exponentially more for those that have more, I, I think we'll all be better off. I think one of the interesting things when you look at history, uh, you and I have talked about this, that the, the great families have had great impact on our lives. I mean, they've, Libraries, great buildings, schools, uh, programs, healthcare. Uh, I know some families that are very involved with uh, Rotary International, and they are working to provide fresh water, and they do it through sometimes, sometimes as simple as having 
the merry-go-rounds on playgrounds they install help to pump water. So the kids are always playing yeah. on it and then they get to pump fresh water and, and the, and the village gets to have a different source of water. So there are great things that we do. I think if we could dive into a little bit about money and the relationship we have with money, how would we start to look at that? Yeah. So we all have a money history and the reality is, is we don't typically take time to pause and become more conscious of what were the messages that we heard when we were growing up and what are our biases about money? What is our relationship with money? And so that's where I like to start is helping people pause and think about what did you hear? What did you learn? And how is it impacting your habits or your behaviors today? And I have a couple examples, but um, I can share about myself and about clients' experiences. But maybe if you don't mind, Tim, I'll ask you first. Are there sure. any messages that you recall as kind of poignant or strong things you heard growing up about money? Well, my grandmother... I think it's always interesting when you work, when you grow up in a family enterprise, because in, in knowing what I know today, the family enterprises all were some sort of real estate related activity other than the insurance or property management. Property management, again, was real estate related. So we had good years and there were years that weren't so good. Mm-hmm. And so, but as a kid, you don't understand that. Like yeah. sometimes we would do these really great things and other times it would be like, no, we can't go do that. And so granny used to say, my grandmother, my dad's mom, always used to say things to be like, you know, it doesn't matter how much money they have because everybody has to put their pants on one leg at a time. I don't care who you are. That's how you got to still put your pants on. It humanizes people, right? And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. As a kid, you're like, yeah. Or she'd say things like money only is what money does. Hmm. That's a great one. And that would be like, the title of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's what so about cool. you? Like, do you have a, I mean, do you, what do you think about when do anything yeah. you remember? Oh my gosh. So I have kind of a silly story that I'll tell about me. And then I'll tell some more relevant ones that are examples of clients that have some polar money histories, especially couples. And one thing that is fascinating is to have a conversation with siblings asking them that same question I asked you, and they have such totally different, different memories. Yeah, it's <laughs> wild. So this is just a silly example for me. Is I remember as a kid, when we would travel, my mother and father would never take the key to the minibar when we stayed at a hotel. And so, and I remember my father always saying that we couldn't afford it and it, and it was just ridiculously expensive. And so in in my adult life, I was started traveling every week. And I found myself, the first thing I would do when I got into my hotel room would be open up the mini bar and open something. Literally, not exaggerating, every single hotel I walked in that had a mini bar, I would open it and take something out. And it was almost a power and control thing. And I was very unconscious of it until the day that my eight-year-old son, so I don't know if Jason and my husband and I were taking a nap or something, but I opened the mini bar and half of it, obviously not the alcohol, is gone. And there's candy wrappers and, you know, bottles of soda and water and chips all open. And I just lose my mind and say, Mason, do you have any idea how ridiculously expensive the things in this mini bar? And I, it was the first time 
it was like such an aha moment. Even in that moment, I couldn't stop but just crack up laughing at myself because it was totally my father on my shoulder that I heard coming out of my my mouth to my son. So that's a silly example, but one to say of how unconscious we can be and how we often just continue the messages that we heard without really the awareness or consciousness of, is that how I want to be communicating? And so it, it is now something that we all laugh about, but pausing and saying, okay, how do I want to think about money and my relationship to it? So can I tell you a couple examples about yeah, clients? I love it. Love it. Yeah. Tell us. Well, look, I should ask you, do you, are you a mini bar frequenter? Yeah, I think, I think that's, I don't think I touch the mini bar. I, I think when I do, it's with great guilt. And, oh, and I used no. to travel like you. I used to travel all the time. And there's sometimes you got back to the room, you were just hungry. I mean, and yeah. I would be like, okay, I'm going to eat these nuts or I'm going to have the Snickers bar. And it's probably like $5. Yeah, $17 later. Yeah. I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah. So when you say that, I I was like, oh, no, oh my God. Yeah. We never used the mini bar. We were never allowed. Yeah. So fascinating. So this, I have a story about a couple I had a conversation with recently that is getting married and talking about the potential of getting a prenuptial agreement. And we were just talking about how they're going to manage their money as a married couple. So I'm going to call them Bob and Sam in this example. That's not their real name. We're sitting down and I start to ask them some questions to help them to pause and think about what they learned about money growing up. And so Sam tells a story. Well, I should also say, they kind of start by saying, Jill, this is sort of the area that like we don't fight about anything, but we really struggle in this one. And so that's what started the, that's the beginning of this conversation is we're struggling with our conversations with each other about money. So then I asked, well, you know, what did you learn about money? What was your experience? And Sam says, you know, we grew up really poor and there was a period of time in my life where I remember it was almost scary, right? We didn't know if we were going to have food on the table that day. And I remember my parents always saying that things were too expensive, that we couldn't afford them. Also, they got into debt. And so I kind of carry this fear about that I should never use credit to buy anything, that I should only use cash. That was sort of the message that I got or that I hold on to from my upbringing. So then Bob says, well, I was raised, so Bob is the the wealthy um, individual in this couple was kind of prompting the reason to have a, he's an inheritor and prompting the reason to have a conversation about a prenup. And he says, you know, I was, my family at the time when I was young was really upper middle class and we never really thought about money growing up, right? We had more than we ever needed. And I remember my parents telling us that we should enjoy the finer things in life and really being critical about being stingy, that people about having a judgment about people that were stingy. So you can imagine how different right here. We're talking about these two men that come from totally different money histories. Now, Sam is making six figures, high six six figures. So what society would say would be stereotypically very successful. And Bob has a trust fund that's distributing income. So they have way more money than they need to sustain their lifestyle. But Sam is struggling with this scarcity mentality that you just can't shake. And so it, I think it's such a poignant example of coming from two totally different worlds and how hard that can be in when you're thinking about 
your judgment, right? You can see how Sam and Bob would struggle all the time based on where they came right. from and based right. on the experiences that they had, even though today there really is truly abundance, but there's a, a feeling in Sam that, can't, that is, he struggles with about scarcity. So we've been doing work and we'll continue to do work to help really both of them have more compassion and understanding and to pause we have actually come up with a little code word. So if either of them are tied up in some past story to help pause, take a break, maybe come back the next day to talk about whatever it is they're about to get into an argument about. But we're working on building out a plan for how they're going to manage money going forward that includes some joint account and some separation mm -hmm. because they're both not going to just immediately shake off their money history, even though right. they want to be more conscious and live more in alignment. I like the story because I think it doesn't really matter the level of wealth in the couple. Obviously, it's great. It's easier to show the extreme because of the challenges with that. But I also think there's a lot of couples who one of them, one of the person makes more money. Mm -hmm. And it's a natural, I, I think that uh, we've even been in that situation where one of us made more money for a while and then the other person, you know, corporate America is always so fun because you never know whether you're going to have a job. So you could lose your job tomorrow and then all of a sudden the other income's like, oh, that's pretty good. Let's keep that, you know. And so I always find it interesting, the 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 dynamic with money and couples. And some people are really buttoned down about it and some people are not. I think so much of it is driven based on the experiences that we had. And yes. typically we just continue to live with what we were taught or we do exactly the opposite. So like my story with the mini bar, right? Yeah. You either do exactly what you learned growing up or you go in the far other direction. And often where we want to be and what we want to teach our family are, is somewhere in the middle. So that's to answer the question that you asked, you know, where do you start? This is, I think, the most important place to start. And then deciding how you want to be on a go forward basis. So you're making more of your decisions in a conscious way. And especially for a family or for a couple to be able to do that together with far more compassion and less judgment can be really helpful. How do we get through that then? Are there other things that we can do that you found have helped the clients that you've served in a sense of, of things that guidance that you've given them? Like you obviously get, you said a couple things. They had a safe word. Like, mm -hmm. did you say to them, we're going to have, when you get triggered, you got to notice that you're triggered. Yeah. I, you it's, and, and it's not a safe word. I, I, well, that might be oh, another sorry. podcast. Okay. But sorry. That's word. different. <laughs> Okay, sorry, that was something else I was thinking about. Another code, it's a code <laughs> word. Yes. So, or a way, often it's not the person that can realize it in the moment that they did it, it's the other. So, someone else in the family, or in their case, it would be Bob's using the code word to stop the conversation when Sam is struggling with some money history story. Right. That isn't in alignment with what they agreed. They want their story or their behavior, their goals to be going forward. So they kind of help each other to become more aware. And sometimes it's just hard to do that in the moment. I think it's really hard. 
<laughs> to do it in the moment. If they have any success there, that, that we all can learn from that, I think. Hey, hey, sorry for the interruption. Look, I know you're listening to the Rainbow Bowl podcast, and I'm really happy you're here. But if you have any questions or issues you'd like to have us discuss with the experts, please email them to us at tim.volk at tvolkco.com. We would love to hear from you. I don't think the media, you and I talked about this too, and I, I don't know if we should make that shift, but I don't think the media is portraying the family as well. Like I have friends that say, oh my God, I love succession. I know, Tim, you came from a family business. Was it just like succession? I'm like, what? Oh, from Wyoming, for God's sake. Yeah, there was nothing like oh, that. Oh, Tim, let's talk about this a little because it's it's so it's so challenging the way that the media portrays the rich. And it it really adds to the negative bias and perception. Succession is a good example, but there are so many that are portraying the wealthy as greedy and selfish and controlling and 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 sort of behaving in a only conflicted way. I mean, even in that in the show Succession, the family relationships almost don't matter to the family. And that is quite the opposite from what my work with family enterprises. Mm-hmm. So I think that this the and the stigma is even more challenging because with the with the internet, because we used to just compare our financial situation to that of our neighbors. So this whole idea of keeping up with the Joneses, it it was contained. But now with social media, I mean, most people don't put the challenges of their life on social media. So all no. you're seeing all the time are the pieces of folks' lifestyle that feel like rich and famous. So you're all, mm-hmm. now we're exposed. Our neighborhood is everywhere. And you're you're seeing glimpses of things you dream of in your face 24-7. And so I think I love the quote that comparison is the thief of joy. Mm. I think it really makes it challenging to feel like you have enough. So this notion of scarcity versus abundance, it's hard to feel like more wouldn't make you happier. And it feels unfair or an injustice that you don't, especially for minority groups where there have been like the LGBTQ plus community, like women, like black people, right? The, there's racial and gender, sexual or, and gender um, role bias that actually has created inequality. And so when we talk about generational wealth, you know, the truth is that these groups weren't able to really generate generational wealth until recently. So the majority of the wealth holders today are, forgive me, but, you know, older white men for the most part. And so thank goodness that's shifting, but it adds to the anger and the sense of unfairness that's legit. Well, it's it only fuels the fire when you see it 24-7 in front of you. Right. So, but, but I don't think that everybody is in that boat. I really think that there are, that the mis, the misperception of it is real. I used to have a good friend 
he's no longer with us, Byron. He was one of my best friends. And we used to go see him in West Hollywood. We would drive around L.A. And, <clears throat> you know, you see everything's bling in L.A. Mm-hmm. And he would say, baby, because we'd go to we'd pull up, we'd be at a Starbucks and this hot guy would get out with this, you know, muscle guy would get out of this Ferrari and he'd be beautiful and he'd be getting a cup of coffee. And I'd be like, whoa. And he goes, baby, nothing about that is real. Nothing mm-hmm. that you think about that is really what's going on. And then the other thing he used to say is when I was involved with the Kennedy Center, we would be at the Kennedy Center. And he said, you know, I said, I think it's just like a red carpet, like when you're in L.A., you know, at the at the. um grammys or or maybe at the you know whatever award show and he'd say yeah there's a big difference though mm-hmm. and i'd say what's the difference he said in washington dc the jewelry's real <laughs> and they own it well gosh <laughs> when you're when you're when you're dealing with this you're when the joneses that you're trying to keep up with it, it is so tempting when the joneses yeah. are everywhere it's so tempting to just really extend yourself beyond what is sustainable? And so I do think taking a pause and reflecting on we have enough. Like I love this framework of scarcity versus abundance. We are enough and we have enough and there is enough to go around. And I know that you've seen this in your work, Tim. Sometimes when you reach the pinnacle of success, right? You keep thinking, well, if only I had X, then I'd be happy. So then you get X and you think, well, if only I had Y, then I'd be happy. And then you get Y. And there's almost this like slap in the face when you get to the top of that financial mm-hmm. pyramid of success where you say, gosh, I don't, it didn't work. Like now what? That money truly, uh, now let me be clear, right? If you don't have shelter or food or healthcare, it's there's real sadness, right? So money right. can buy happiness in that context. But over right. a certain point, it just doesn't. More money, more problems. I think that this is a misnomer that great wealth is easy. I think when you and I see the families that are managing this, it's a lot of burden. I think that there's a quote that Jay Hughes had said to me that in The Inheritors, that 80% of people that inherit money see it as a burden, 10% see it as a gift, and the other 10% are somewhere in between. When I say that, what what comes to mind? Yeah. Um, I, sadly, I have similar experience to Jay where money, like I said, money creates often more burden than blessing. I don't think it has to be that way, and that's... I think I have job security, really. This is at the core of what I do for a living is try to lean into the opportunities and try to help people avoid the pitfalls. But I don't think it's just inheritors. And we will hopefully talk about that in a future conversation. But I think even the wealth creators, right? If 80% of the current wealth holders The statistic is that they say that they grew up in a lower to lower middle class upbringing. So they came from nothing. So they had this desperation almost that I like pounding the table. I'm going to give my kids a better life than I had. So blood, sweat, tears, such sacrifice often Mm -hmm. was made to get to this place and Getting there often took time away from the family where you didn't have the 
opportunity to build relationships. And it also, when you reach that level of financial success, it changes the way that people look at you, right? What we were talking about, about the stigma that people have to the rich, that now your friends, you're not so sure. Are they wanting to hang out with you because you'll pay the bill or you will invite them to join you on your plane? It's, It's hard to know even how should we change, right? For most of our clients, they have a business and they're just working their butt off to run the business. And then when when they sell the business, now there's just all this money. It's such a shift and there's not a lot of help and support. And everybody in your life is saying, oh my gosh, this is only, there's no downside to this, right? There's only upside. What do you have to complain about? And inside you're feeling like I, I have no purpose and no meaning. And I just lost the thing that I've been committed to, my identity. Right. Exactly. I don't think that most people even comprehend the identity the families have with their family businesses and when they sell them, the the the, the sense of being lost. But the the money side of it, the the relationship we have with money, I think you you had me uh there was a couple things I was gonna say. One was that I I had a client family enormously successful. Uh, they'd sold their family business, did really well. But when you talk to the father about the family business and he was like, you know, there was a time I didn't think we could make payroll. So we called our friends and I was worried about whether or not we were getting through this. And they just des- described some of the stress and the anxiety that they faced. And so they are enjoying the wealth in a sense of they feel like they earned it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know the children and the grandchildren comprehend that the children that were around that were old enough probably did. But in some cases, you know, like in in our family business, you know, our family, my dad had a second set of kids and my brother and sister younger. And I don't know that they saw the same difference in the way dad did things or the way the family operated from when I was a kid. Yeah. Gosh, there's so many things that come up for me that I'd love to explore with you about your own personal story and kind of how this relates. I work with so many families, like I said about the siblings, where they just have such different experiences, the story they tell themselves about their upbringing. Mm -hmm. It might be the same experience and just seen really differently through that individual's Mm -hmm. lens. But what you're bringing up is really important that the timing matters. So you have one one child who never saw the parent that was off running the business and the business sells and the the other child, the younger child has a totally different relationship with the parent because they're around and there's so much more liquidity. There's so much more money. So their view about money is different. Yeah. Yeah. We can take from the mini bar. (laughs) I love it. I think one of the, uh, Things that we talked about before also was just, you know, there there are good things that the families have done. There's a lot of research. I think you actually shared with me some of the stuff, but the one of the, I'd like you to talk about the changing world order, yeah. like how you, you believe that there's a greater responsibility. And I, I believe the quote is with great opportunity comes great responsibility, right? Yes. So, like I was talking about the research related to the negativity and the toxic envy that 
people feel the the risk when there is great financial inequality in a society is political un- and social unrest. So as the the inequality grows, which has grown exponentially after, during and after COVID, mm-hmm. it puts our, our society at risk. But the most wonderful positive thing is that the rising generation, the millennials and Gen Z have such a different view. They really define wealth and and their relationship to it very differently than their parents. So we can talk about this later, but it gets to their feeling of the guilt and shame that they feel about being an inheritor, but it also inspires them to do something. So I think the statistic is a um, Fidelity Charitable did a study and found that 75% of millennials consider themselves philanthropists. Like how cool is that? That is cool. The next generation are demanding more of us. They're, They're demanding more of their wealth managers, of their advisors, of their parents and grandparents. They're engaging in their community and they're using their resources and their time, so their time and their money, to make positive change, to have a positive impact. And they're driven to do that, whether they're rich or poor. So I feel so optimistic about this changing world order that we are going to be okay. Oh, I love that. I love that. I think one of the I, I truly believe that the, you know, the, the world we're in at the moment, <clears throat> it would be easy to be discouraged. And so I think some of the things that I've learned and, and, and you and I can share some thoughts on this, I hope on with families is just some of the things I've noticed where families have been successful and how they've been able to pass on and, and raise healthy kids. Cause I think every family wants, a healthy child. I think everybody wants your kid to be normal or children to be normal. If you're the, if you're like John and I, we don't have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of nieces and nephews. Yeah. And you want them to be happy, right, Tim? We just want them to be happy. And I want them to be productive. I want yeah. them to be productive citizens. And so I think that the, the social media, which is a whole nother conversation, but I think that the use of the phone and and the algorithms and the AI, it's its a negative influence on most of us. So what are the things that we can do that we're seeing in, you know, in the past that worked? And so one of the thoughts I had was how we could sort of riff a little minute, a few, a few minutes on ideas that we have that people can do cool things. So one of the things I notice is that my friends that are Jewish, that the rituals in Judaism, you know, the 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 two things that I love, and I, I think I told you, I love Yom Kippur mm-hmm. because the Day of Atonement. If the world stopped and did atonement, wouldn't that be an interesting exercise? And the second thing that I've noticed is the 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 bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah, the actual rite of passage of a young person to tell us what they're going to be as an adult, and Catholicism has a similar exercise. So I know I'm not a relig- I'm not necessarily a religious person. I'm not trying to promote religion, but I'm just saying that in that ritual nature of the family, there seems to be a way for them to acknowledge certain events that help 
all of us grow up. Do you think that's had a good or do you think that helps with the relationship with money or? Oh my gosh, Tim. And it helps not just in our relationship with money, but in our relationship with each other. I love traditions and rituals and I don't, I don't care where they come from and encourage everyone listening. If there's nothing that you are excited about or proud of from your upbringing, create a new ritual. If some of the most successful or interesting that I've seen are a gratitude practice. So on a daily basis or on Sundays or just at Thanksgiving, taking a moment and sharing with each other one thing that you're grateful for. I also think it can be big or small. So I'm thankful for air conditioning today. (laughs) (laughs) But really reflecting on what matters, right? It goes back to that idea of thinking about life in more of an abundant way, having a growth mindset and taking a minute and, and instead of thinking about what you don't have, thinking about what you do have and celebrating it. So that's one example of a ritual that I think is really powerful. I agree hundred percent. My other half does his daily gratitude journal. He writes these three gratitudes every day. So I, when I find myself to be a little down or feeling anxious or envious or whatever, I I like to do the gratitude journal. I think gratitude journal is probably one of the most powerful things I've ever done. And then in my meditation, to bring it to life, I I say, you know, I I ask that... um, through love, I release all the fears that I have and anxiety, and that I ask the universe to fulfill and provide and my needs be met, and that my dreams be nurtured. Oh, that's I can't beautiful. I'm sharing that, but thank you. That is so beautiful. And to how does that impact you, like on a daily basis, for you to speak that to the universe, like the, the exponential benefit you must be receiving? I don't know. Tell me more. I think it calms me, it anchors me, and I think it just brings a lighter sense to whatever's going on. How beautiful. I mean, again, pausing, reflecting on what really matters, and living there, celebrating. You said the word love, and... We talk about that wealth is well-being. I think that's Jay Hughes' new book, is wealth being defined as Mm well-being. And if we could take it a step further, it's as love. And that money is not the driver. And if we can live in a more loving way, first to ourselves and then to the people around us, gosh, I don't know. I, I, that just adds to the optimism that I have for the future that if we're all reflecting, pausing and staying grounded in what really matters, because, you know, 1% investment return up or down doesn't really matter in the scheme of life and how much time and energy and money is put into that in our world. I think it's too much. I think we're 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 emphasizing the wrong thing, which goes back to the idea that the financial capital we have is needed to nurture the rest of us. 
So what a beautiful thing. Um, I have one other story I'll share, Tim, if we have time. Sure. So another example that I think is really poignant that kind of gets to this conversation about our relationship with money and what is enough or what is too much. So I have a client who's, she's in her forties and she tells a story about how her dad wasn't around when she was growing up because he was always working and he really didn't like his work, the, the business he was building. It was really stressful. And she recalls him saying, I'm doing all of this for you. Like, do you think I want to be gone this much? He didn't attend any of her, at least her memory of it is that he didn't attend her school events or celebrations and the the moments in life, like you were talking about the, the rituals that matter. He wasn't there. And she says, I wish I could go back. And I've had a conversation then, like now she's in a position where she is benefiting from all of that hard work. Mm -hmm. And she has financial freedom and security for generations to come. And she actually says, I wish we could have lived half the lifestyle that we had so that I could have had my dad around more. I wish I I would give up the financial security that I've been blessed with and that my children and grandchildren will have. I would sacrifice that to have had more time. I think we would have had more love, more abundance with less money. Very profound. I think the key there is to take and play it forward so that everyone going forward in the family knows that for that client. I think it's helpful because if it's it's a way to ground it and it, it's a way to pay forward uh, to the family members that did sacrifice the the the, the work. And I and if we don't do that, if we don't pay forward and honor it, then we're not going to have uh, we're not going to have the outcome we want. And you and I are all about trying to change the outcome. It just feels so much better, right? The the gift of giving. It, it sounds so cliche, but it just feels good. It feels good to take the blessings that we've been given. And even if it doesn't just have to be money, right? It We all have the capacity to give back. You don't have to be rich to do it, no, to make a difference, to make a positive impact. And there is enough. There and you feel enough. good doing it. And you do feel good doing it's it. It's a gift. So I think we're going to talk about the rising generation and how they come out of the shadows from this, because this is the the side effect of this with the kids and the grandchildren is really impactful. But I wanted to say, thank you. You, you are such, you're just such a a shining light for all of us in the work. So thank you, Tim. I feel the same. It's such a blessing to be your friend. Patrice, any thoughts? Well, I hate to be crass, but can we get some contact info? Because I know <laughs> listeners, listeners really will want to follow up with this. It's yeah, such a wonderful, a wonderful feeling. And then it's like, all right, how can they reach you? My email is jshipley, S-H-I-P-L-E-Y, at, now this is hard, Tiedemann, T-I-E-M-A-N-N, advisors.com. Beautiful. And of course... You could reach me at tim.volk at tvolko.com or 312-636-5855. And I'm happy to connect you to Jill. 
There we go. <laughs> I think it's a great resource for anybody that's trying to work on this as a family. But just know that there's hope. So it goes without saying, follow or subscribe to this podcast. Don't miss the next episode, especially. And be sure to share with friends and colleagues. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to the Rainbow Bull Podcast. Visit our website at www.tvolco.com or give us a call at 312-636-5855. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of T. Volk and Company Consulting. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.